Welcome to the Soci Effect, Breaking Barriers, Embracing Success. I'm your host, Lucy Ortega, a serial entrepreneur, and this podcast will not only delve into stories of triumph, but also explore nuestra cultura and embrace our authenticity. Join our empowering community of socias, mujeres who embrace their unique power, support one another, and strive to make a positive impact. Join us in the Soci Effect, where barriers crumble and dreams flourish. Empezamos entonces. Welcome back, everyone, to the Soci Effect. This is episode seven. And today I have the pleasure of having Soledad from Wealth Para Todos as a guest. Welcome, Soledad. Hello, hello, everybody. Soledad, so when I think this has been something I had wanted to do for so many years, I think the conversation of having you as a guest in my podcast was probably more than a year ago or close to two. And when I thought of having you as a guest, the couple of words that came to mind were obviously besides the metal, since that's what you talk about, was self-care because I feel as one of your consumers, I feel that there that there has this been new implementation of this topic in your in your content, which I love. Family and obviously business. So I would love if we can focus on, we're in this episode, we're gonna be focusing on that. So to get us started, tell us a little bit about you, Soledad. Who is Soledad? How did Wolfratos came to be? And we can go from there. Hi everybody, I'm Rita Soledad Fernandez Paulino. You can call me Soledad. I am the CEO of Wealth Para Todos. I identify as a financial healer because I don't think that's something that people talk a lot about. Uh, you can Google me and see me as a money and self-care coach. I decided to become a coach Years after I went through my own journey and my framework for coaching other people is really a reflection of what I've had to experience myself in order to be on track to retire early. So I didn't learn about personal finance until I was 32 years old. I already had two kids. I was married and I was sick on medical leave, collecting disability checks when I started my first budget ever. Prior to then, I had always had diverse sources of income and I always had more income than expenses. But when I got sick and I was collecting disability checks, I only had one paycheck and it was also around the same time that my husband was having to shut down his company. And so the sources of income were dwindling and our expenses were staying the same. So that was the first time in my life that I had to create a budget. I had to create a plan to figure out how I was going to cover all of our expenses. I read, I like checked in with my cousin and my cousin like told me about a personal finance book and I read that personal finance book and that one book led to another book and to another book. And then I was just like, you know what? Let's see, let's see if I could build wealth because the authors of the book that I was reading, I couldn't relate to. I didn't see, you know, I'm queer, Mexican-American, uh, child of immigrants, married to a black Dominican man, we're in a, raising a non-binary child and also a black son. And I just was like, well, I don't really see myself in these personal finance books. So I wasn't really sure if I could build wealth. And I just decided, well, let's see, let's see. What would it take for somebody with my background, with my lived experiences, with my health issues to apply all of this information? And for me, critical to being able to now, you know, be debt-free and have all this money invested and 
you know, being on track to retire early has been engaging in all different forms of self-care. And that was not something just like personal finance wasn't something that was talked about in my house. We didn't talk dinero unless people didn't have it. Self-care also wasn't something that was explicitly talked about or even modeled, I think. I mean, I remember just feeling like, especially once I became a parent, that I was supposed to be self-sacrificing and that I always had to do everything to prioritize my family first and that self-care was even selfish. And I even heard that from Diaz and mother and loved ones and what I realized that if I was going to increase my income have the ability to engage in creating a self-care spending plan and follow it I needed to feel resilient and in order to feel resilient I needed to engage in all types of self-care well thank you for sharing this so well one of my questions after your introduction was going to be what are some barriers that have impacted and shaped your life this medical circumstance that you had or had at that time really impacted you because you were like, wait, hold up. I need to figure out how to make my money work for me and, and how to start working with my money. So is there some uh, other barrier sort of that, that you would like to share that you feel like you have had to overcome during this journey? Yeah, I think a big, a lot of barriers were just my lived experiences. Like I grew up in a neighborhood that was low income. My high school had a 54% dropout rate. Less than 6% of people went to college straight out of high school. That included community college. So my neighborhood was full of gun violence. There was a lot of trauma associated with that. Like I went to the high school where there had to be lockdowns and there was drive-bys and I saw people shot in front of me and I knew people who were shot and I went and visited them in the hospitals. And so growing up, it was so hard for me to think long-term because I just always felt like life is short. Life is really short. You never know what's going to happen. And the idea of planning for the future just felt idealistic. It felt foolish. It felt very like, oh, I'm such a dreamer to be thinking about making plans for the future because I didn't feel that much control and agency over the circumstances in my life that were taking a toll on me physically and mentally and emotionally. So I think my lived experiences and also being queer in a family that had very strict gender roles and expectations of what women should act like and behave like that. That was hard for me when I came out queer to my family. That was not a beautiful thing. It was, it was horrible. I was 19 years old. Then I moved to New York right after because I was just like, ugh, I, I, I just can't be around this. And I always felt like I had to compartmentalize. So I struggled with walking in authenticity. I struggled with the trauma of my lived experiences as a child. And like lack of belief. And yet at the same time, there was always a part of me that felt like, nah, life doesn't have to be like this. Like I remember watching movies where there was homes with grass in the front yard or families that like went on trips. Uh, And I mean, my family went to Mexico, but it didn't really feel like a vacation. It always kind of felt like, um, it didn't feel like a vacation. You know, so I would watch these movies and I would be like, huh, I wonder if that's possible. I wonder if that's possible for some of my lived experiences. And so I think because of that exposure, 
I, I craved it, I desired it, and yet there was so much doubt about whether someone with my lived experiences, with my, you know, identities could actually achieve that type of financial security. So I, I can relate to a lot about what you said. I'm from South LA, so I know we, we grew up in different neighborhoods in, in LA, but I don't think, at least when I started high school, there was not a lot of gun violence, but there was a lot of prostitution and maybe like a little bit of rise of drugs in a different way. And I can relate because when it was time to apply to college, I felt the same way. It also felt like, am I doing the wrong thing? Who am I to be dreaming this big? What if I felt? I think this is why when I went to college, I struggled so much. My ego, because I'm like, I'm a good student. Like, why am I struggling so much? I want to take a step into self-care. And I know you mentioned a little bit of how self-care, being selfish in our community. So why do you think self-care? I mean, I think you answer part of it, but why is it so difficult for us? How do you self And one question that I have for you, even a little deeper, is how do you hold yourself accountable based on from your IG stories? You seem to be journaling a lot and I can only think about journaling, but I don't really take action. So what are some tips that you can give us? Yeah. Well, first, I think the reason why self-care is stigmatized is because of colonization in Latin America. And I think of our ancestors and how for survival purposes, they had to use their bodies as labor. They had to neglect their bodies and be able to just produce as a result of colonization. And then for generations, that's been passed down. So much so that there's a lot of orgullo for your ability to, you know, echale ganas, to work really hard. Mm-hmm. The idea of like, Especially, I feel like this is coming a lot of uh, immigrant families, but in Mexico, it's like, yeah, we take so much pride in our ability to work so hard. And I think perhaps at one point it was a reframing of how our labor was taken advantage of, how, first of all, we are forced into labor. Then it's like, okay, you're no longer forced into labor, but are you being compensated fairly for your labor? And it's like, okay, we're not able to do that. So how do we still approach all of this without getting so angry? And I think there was some reframing in the culture. And that reframing, it was like, oh, you know what? I don't, I don't need to rest. I don't need to lay down. Yeah, look at me. I can have multiple jobs. Look at how I provide for my family. And so that became something to celebrate and be proud of. And as a result, this idea of, oh, self-care, like, oh, you're going to make sure you get enough sleep. You're going to make sure that you're eating, you know, certain foods. You're going to exercise. You're going to, you know, attend to your emotional self-care. You're going to set boundaries. Like, wait, what? That's so not what we're taught to do. So it's very hard when it's, it's just very hard to have habits and create habits that were not modeled for you. Right. And that's what I think of when I think of self-care, I think it's a habit. You have to have the habit of taking care of yourself. And in order to take care of yourself, you have to really, really, really love yourself and you have to value yourself and you have to say, like, what makes me feel good? And not just in terms of feelings, but in terms of the results, what are the results that I want to have in my life? And even if, you know, like, Couples therapy, individual therapy, working with my wellness coach, exercising and strength training, that doesn't always feel good in the moment, but I know that it's aligned to the result that I want to have. And when I think about 
what I want for myself. I, I want certain results. I like, I'm 36 years old. I'm going to be 40 soon. And I always just think, what is my 40 year old self going to be so grateful for starting, right? Like my 40 year old self is going to be so grateful that in my thirties, I decided to pay off my debt and that I decided to increase my personal finance literacy and that I decided to go to marriage counseling and develop my communication skills and that I started my own business and that I learned to stay accountable to myself instead of looking for validation from others. You know, there's so many little habits that I've been working on in my 30s that my 40-year-old self is, is going to be so grateful for. And that's how I, I stay accountable because I just think about the future version of myself. Like, am I putting in the work to be that person. And I love how you're saying your future self because at least for me, I started doing the same thing. Like, what is my future gonna look like? What is my future self gonna thank me for? Because for when I first started doing a lot of self-care, I, I remember feeling really bad and upset. Like, why why didn't I do this before? And then I will get caught up in a different negative self-talk. Instead of just focusing on the future, I was focusing on where would I've been now if I would have done this two, three years ago. And I know it's like a normal, logical thing to do or emotional thing to do. But at the same time, it's a habit I had to stop doing because if not, it wasn't going to put me in a good place. Recently, my husband said to me so casually, like literally so casually, I think, I don't know, I was sitting at the table talking about my business and, and he was washing dishes and he was like, hey, Sol, have you ever calculated the amount of money and time that you've lost due to perfectionism. And, he, and then like, como si nada. Like he just said that like so. And I was like, have I ever calculated the amount of money and time that I've lost due to perfectionism? I was like, damn, you just stabbed me in the fucking heart and twisted it. Like I have, no, no, I've never calculated that. And now it, I can't stop thinking about that question. I can't stop thinking about like, yeah, I'm not out here trying to be perfect. I'm trying to, I'm just trying to be out here taking care of myself more deeply. And yet in the pursuit of that, my perfectionism can start to shame me for not being enough. And I have to always remind myself I'm more than enough right now. Like, yeah, I'm doing all this work to help my 40-year-old self, but this version of myself deserves all the cariño and all the patience and all the love too. But I don't need to shame myself to change my habits. Now let's move a little bit into family. So how how have you worked through family estrangement and how has therapy helped you in that way? And and I say this because in episode three where I talk about my mother wounds, even though my relationship with my mom is okay, I remember saying when I went into therapy, I was scared because I, I knew it was going to be two things. Either my relationship with my mother was going to be better or that was going to be the end of the relationship. I want some of that to tell us a little bit of how she has worked through all of this. Well, I think the issue is that when we grow up and we're not modeled boundaries, like we're not modeled to like set boundaries, to express our needs, what our desires are and our preferences when there's not space to do that then it becomes very difficult to set boundaries and i think a lot of us grow up in family settings where it's just like the elders know best the elders are telling you what to do and you out of respect should always respect your elders 
and always listen to what they what they say. But when you're a child of immigrants and you're navigating this new world that they have not navigated, right, and you're navigating spaces that they've never navigated, then you can't really turn to your elders as much, right? When we're in college and we don't have family members that have the same college experience as us, then it's like we start turning to other people. And as you start turning to other people, you're like, wait, maybe my parents don't know it all after all. Maybe, you know, everyone in my family doesn't know it all after all. And as a need, you know, like from a place to get our own needs met, we start turning to other information. And when you start doing that, and when you start saying like, oh, you know what? It's okay that my, you know, my parents don't have all the answers. I don't, they don't know it all. Like that creates some conflict, especially when you, as the older you get and you realize like, oh, I'm learning all this information. I'm learning about communicating my needs and I'm commun- learning about validating and empathizing with people. And I'm learning about anti-blackness and, and different forms of gender identities and all this stuff that your family has had very strict views on. It's going to create conflict. It's going to create conflict. Mm-hmm. And in order for you to evolve, you have to be willing to tolerate that conflict and you have to be able to set boundaries. And for me, I think about my family, my like legacy, and my legacy moves beyond what I'm leaving behind in terms of wealth, but also the cultural shifts I've created in my family. And so when things get really hard, because my family has very strict beliefs when it comes to gender identities and may not always hold space for my child who's non-binary, I say, well, guess what? I can stay quiet and I can conform and I can make my child compartmentalize parts of their identity the way I learned to do in terms of my own queerness, or I can be the conflict that starts to shift these cultural norms within our family. And I choose change. I choose growth. I don't choose conformity because I don't choose conformity just because I think it's going to get me some type of acceptance. I want to be accepted for who I am, not for who what people want me to be. And that has been hard. You know, the past, I'm now getting in a place where I'm spending more time with family, but I didn't have family that were comrades the way I wanted them to be comrades. And I learned to lean into other people who had like-minded values. I learned to connect with other, create a chosen family. I learned to improve my communication skills, hold space for my emotions, validate my own emotions when other people could not validate them. And I cried a lot. I cried a lot to have to like mourn and grieve the loss and what felt often like a betrayal. And then I also had to make decisions regarding like, okay, well, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? Because in some ways it's e- it's easier to just have these very rigid boundaries, black and white, like, oh, that's it. You're out of my life in some ways. And I don't even want to say that that's so easy either, because that also comes with a lot of grief and that's hard too. Mm-hmm. Where I am right now is like, if my family, if I'm the only openly queer person in my family. If I am the only person in my family raising a non-binary child, if I'm the only one who's married to a black man, 
if I'm the only one who's investing in Roth IRA accounts and I decide to keep myself away from my family and move away from them, then that means they get to just be surrounded more in by people with the same ideologies, with the same financial habits, with the same, you know, beliefs. And so I think like, hmm, you know, I can't change everyone's mind around, you know, voting for Trump. Maybe I could keep showing up as myself around my family and make sure that no one in my family is voting for Trump. And I just think of those little things that what are like, who's going to listen to me more? The complete stranger. I mean, I have found that complete strangers do listen to me on the internet, but I also think that our ability to change and shift what the world is like tolerating really comes from our family dynamics. So I balance both. I balance both between like having my space away from them as a form of self-care in order to like protect myself from toxicity and also thinking bigger picture around, you know, can I have sensitive, vulnerable conversations? Can I hold space for other people's emotions too? Can I validate their emotions? Can I model what I've been learning in therapy through my own personal development work? Because my family out here going to therapy, my family out here reading these books that I'm reading, they're not getting coaching. And the only, the closest thing that they have access to is me who's doing that. And so I think it just makes the world a better place when we engage in our self-care and then we teach that to other people. There's a lot of compassion that you have to give some of them. And it's hard. I think it, it, it's, there's a lot of work that ha- happens when you're trying to have these conversations, but at the same time, be who you are. And it's like, it's just like step by step. It's like, I think what frustrates many young people is like, I, we want solutions now, not, not tomorrow, not in a week for me. And just with my friends, when I talk to others around my age, it's like, we, there's a lot of resentment. And before we move on to more like the business topic, how, how have you dealt with that? So that, but how have you dealt with all these emotions of resentment? Yeah. Resentment and also anger, right? It's anger, it's hurt, it's pain. Well, that's why I do that work every single day. <laughs> if you look on Instagram, you're going to see me doing that work because I am holding space for my emotions every single day. And I am taking the time to write them out, notice the thoughts that cause me to have certain emotions and validate myself telling myself it's okay it's okay that you feel this way and the more I practice that compassion towards myself it's easier for me to also then have that compassion for other people but it's a practice you know you have to decide like am I going to live in my resentment am I going to live in my anger or is it something that I'm allowed to like notice when I feel it but also not form an attachment to it and let it just be like, oh, okay, you know, it's here, it, it's there, it goes, it comes and it goes. And all I can do is just like continue to allow myself to feel every single feeling. That's a lot of my work for the, in this year specifically has been increasing my capacity to feel every single feeling. And if you Google feelings wheel, you can go to like feelingswheel.com and you can see a bunch of emotions on there. And I've just noticed that there are certain emotions that I would try to avoid. And in my avoidance of those emotions, I engaged in certain habits, emotional spending, emotional eating, workaholicism, 
even drinking maybe too much alcohol, right? Those are things that I did to avoid certain emotions. Well, my future version of myself is able to follow a budget and manage, you know, their extra cash flow so that they could invest more for retirement. My future version of myself is able to go to the doctor and not worry about diabetes or obesity or other health conditions that my family has had. And so part of my work is like, okay, so if I'm not going to engage in emotional spending and I'm not going to engage in emotional eating, and if I'm going to have this work-life balance so that I could truly become work optional and not turn to work as a way to avoid my emotion, and what I have to learn to do is feel my emotions and find ways to release those emotions and validate those. And that is an everyday process. Not easy. It's not easier, but como todo, like it gets easier with practice, right? And it's, have you thought that's that? That's why... I know it's been a couple of weeks and months that you actively been showing us on your stories, your journaling. How did it feel awkward at first or or has journaling already been part of your routine that it wasn't as tough? Journaling is something that I started at the age of 12 and it was always a tool that was available to me to hold space for my emotions. However, it wasn't something I was consistent with. Right. Like it for a long time, it was easier for me to just not feel or not think about it, to try to just distract myself and avoid it. I have been doing thought work consistently, I want to say since like daily, daily. Like uh, like maybe I miss like maybe I miss like one day cada rato. Um but I do that work now, I think since I was 33 years old. Wow. Yeah. So not that long, not that long. It's only been three years, but also, you know, yeah. Like it's very aligned with my ability, like my ability to increase my income also came or increase my extra cash flow is very aligned with my ability to feel my emotions, my ability to improve my health and no longer have these autoimmune issues with my, was aligned with my ability to hold space for my emotions, my ability to have more work-life balance, again, aligned with my ability to validate my emotions. So the past three years where I've had a lot of growth, it's because I've learned to feel my emotions, hold space for them, notice them, validate them, and not get attached to them. This is so cool. Well, all of this, you know, we can see Soledad in action at Wolparatos on Instagram. How did this Instagram page and our business came to be? So in 2019, I paid off my debt my student loan debt, and I became debt-free. And I did that in a very restrictive way. I cut out a lot of things, I like ran numbers, and I was like, you know what? If I live on this very, very strict budget for the next four months, I could pay off all of my student loan, which is $23,000. I also like wiped out my savings. And I put it, I was putting everything towards debt. I was selling stuff. And mind you, this is when I was sick. So I was on disability. I didn't necessarily have a lot of income coming in. But I was just like, if I live on this really, really strict budget, then I'll be able to pay off my debt. I'm glad I did that because it was a skill. It was a skill to be able to focus like that for a little bit amount of time. But then I needed to build an emergency fund. And then I needed to make sure that I had thousands of dollars to invest for early retirement. And I just knew I wasn't going to live my life in sacrifice mode. It wasn't sustainable. It felt like deprivation. 
So I started Wealth Para Todos on February 23rd, 2020 to document my journey of saving $30,000. That's what I wanted to share with everybody. I ended up saving that, like I thought it was going to take me 18 months. It took me six months. I was just, you know, documenting, sharing my journey with that. And then I wanted to max out retirement accounts and I wanted to learn to invest in the stock market. And as I did that, people started coming to me and asking me to create financial content for them. And so they were, these were like companies that were like, oh, can you create, you know, this content, maybe a reel, can you do these videos? Can you create this course? And then as a teacher, that was very easy for me. And I was like, yeah. And I made like $44,000 just from that freelance work. But I also had people who were coming to me saying, Soledad, teach me, coach me, like teach me to do what you are doing. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I can't. I'm not a certified financial planner. No, I can't. I don't have any certification. Oh, no, no, no. Like I'll teach you, but no, you don't have to pay me. You don't have to pay me because, you know, I'm not an expert. Just because I figured this out for myself doesn't mean I could help someone else. So if you can imagine in 2020, I was I was coaching people for free and I was helping them pay off debt and learning how to budget and build the savings and learning how to increase their income. But in my mind, I was like, no one would really pay me to do that. In 2021, thanks to you and Charlie, I decided to work with Kat Del Carmen. I hired her as my business coach and I said, I'm going to pay Kat $10,000 and she was going to teach me how to make a hundred K through my coaching business. I decided to just focus on selling coaching and that was required a lot of shifts in me. I had to build belief in myself as a coach. I had to build belief in my offer that it could, that it could provide a transformation. And I had to build belief in my community that people would have the money and choose to use that money to work with a coach. And they, were, and they would be like, yeah, I'll pay thousands of dollars for a financial transformation. Sure, I'll do that. And as I built all of that belief, you know, I, I made my first six figures. I expanded to create Wealth Better Builders Academy. And now I have this business and I'm just like on a mission to make sure that more black and people of color women and LGBTQ plus folk have can self care themselves to financial freedom. I recently posted that I just want most, like I want to see more of us reaching self-actualization. I want to see us reaching our full potential, moving beyond like Maslow's hierarchy of needs or it's just like food and physical safety and even like social safety and emotional safety. Like I want to be part of people's journey as they are like, I don't even know what I'm capable of yet. Push me. Mm. I want to learn. So how does Soledad, because one thing that I want to start talking about more in my own content is I always struggle a little bit with social media because feel that if you're, if your business is not an overnight success or bringing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars every single month or even day, you're not being successful. Enough. Why are you creating content if you're not, you, you didn't pay off your mom's house already or something like that. How do you deal with frustration knowing that a lot of a lot of first gens are building their businesses from the bootstraps or we're self-funding everything either through our own funds or even debt? And then we hear this, right? We're learning about not being in debt, but then we have to kind of be in debt if we don't have, if we don't necessarily want 
to use up our savings account? What would you tell someone who's like, I'm scared because I don't want to get in debt for a business that I don't know it might not work or it's in the baby process. I just would validate that and be like, yeah, that's totally normal. And that part of you that has fear, like, thank goodness, thank goodness that your brain is trying to protect you. And at the same time, it's like, what's your risk tolerance? You know, what are you willing to invest in? I think about like right now, right in this exact moment, my business, we're talking July, 2023. Okay. In July, 2023, I have more business debt than cash in my checking and my business checking and my business savings account. And when I saw that, and this is the first time in my business in the past few years that this has been the case. So I have more debt than actual cash. My brain wanted to be like, oh my goodness, this is the beginning of the end. It's all falling apart. Oh, you're not a good CEO. You're, you know, that's it. That's it. This is when it goes under. Businesses go under all the time. Like that's what my brain was saying to me. And I did thought work and I put it all out. And of course it was making me feel like scared and nervous. And because I was feeling scared and nervous, I didn't feel like inviting people to work with me. And so then I wasn't getting new clients. And I had these ideas of like, oh, well, I have to be doing all this other stuff. And I was just spiraling. And this is again, why thought work is so important because you know you do an unintentional thought model, you notice that that's where your, where your thoughts are going and then you get to decide, okay, what is the result that I want? What are the actions that are aligned with getting that result? What do I need to feel and what thoughts make me feel those feelings? Because at the end of the day, my, you know, my business accounts right now, having more debt than income, that's just the circumstance. It's just the circumstance. It's temporary. It's not going to be like that forever as long as my actions are aligned with the results that I want. Do I want the result of a failing business? Then go ahead. So keep up not making offers, keep not like spiraling, avoid your emotions, avoid your thoughts. Good. Your business will shut down, you know, by the end of the year. Do I want the result of hitting my revenue goals and then taking what I learned from this year? to make sure that next year, maybe I manage my cash flow differently, right? Like, okay, then what are the actions I need to do to get those results? And I focus on that. I think it's so, it's so important to validate the emotions and say, yeah, it's totally okay that you feel that way. But what actions do you take when you're feeling those emotions? What thoughts are causing you to feel those emotions? Are those thoughts accurate? How can you question your thoughts, right? Are those like questions that I'll tell myself, I'll ask myself when I list out my thoughts is like, is that true? Who would I be without this thought? How would I act differently if I didn't believe this? Why do I think this question? Why, 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 why? And when I get to the root of it, and this is why I always tell people I'm such a good coach because I have to coach myself every single day. And so I'm always questioning myself. I'm always coaching myself to take actions that's aligned with the results that I want. So when my clients come to me, I'm like, oh, I know. Okay. And I ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, get to the root thought. Because really it's like, as an outsider, I can see it, but I want them to develop the skills to coach themselves too. For every business owner that, that's like that, it's like, maybe get used to debt, learn to manage it, see it as a tool to build wealth, pay it off when the puedes, and protect that credit score. Because that's what I'm doing over here. I took out two business credit cards this year. 0% interest, 
I'm grateful for my credit score. As soon as I get cash flow, I'll pay it off. I'm a lot being a lot more mindful of what does my business spending look like? What am I saying is a need that actually could potentially wait? I'm not even just saying the same way that, you know, we do with personal finances. I think like I wouldn't be here today if I didn't take out my student loan debt, if I wouldn't have gotten an auto loan so that I could drive to college and drive to work. Like debt, when you don't come from money, is going to be a part of your life. Learn to manage it, learn to pay it off, learn to use it to get yourself where you want to go. This was a lot of good gems. I, I, I've been doing a lot of that with my business and it has helped so much. When you start, I remember maybe even half a year ago, getting to the root of the problem is essential because I know for me, I'd be like, I'm feeling frustrated and I'm like, okay, well then what's, okay, why are you feeling frustrated? And then the next step and then the next step. And then it's like, I think your body or your brain Somewhere is like, okay, I'm pretty upset because this just happened and I was not expecting this. And then you're like, okay. And then you can kind of from there start doing the solution. Like, okay, well, what can you really do? And I think when you're not taught that and you're as a kid, because I felt like I should have known this already. It's much harder to start working through the awkwardness of like, what am I really feeling? What do I really need? What it's it's like parenting yourself all over again. And, and that's tough. And so, also accepting that you're not like, there's no way that we're going to know this stuff. If we are choosing growth, then we're always going to be in environments and circumstances that are uncertain and unknown. That's just the growth journey. So if you could choose to stay in areas where you are already familiar and then, yeah, you're not going to have to deal with that same discomfort or the anxiety that comes with uncertainty. But if you choose growth, then maybe you better wrap your arms around that anxiety and that uncertainty and be like, all right, show me the lessons. I'm here to learn. Oh, I love that. So how does Soledad embrace success? I think many people, many of us have downplayed our success. Why is it important for you to embrace your success? It's so important for us to embrace our success so that we have the evidence of what we're capable of. If we're not taking time to reflect on what we're doing right, our, our lessons and what we're learning, then you're just like, you're going to lose confianza. You're going to have more doubt than confidence right? You have to take time to celebrate your wins, to acknowledge your wins, especially like, you know, earlier when you asked me, like, how do you stay motivated, you know, in this journey? It's like, I'm not looking, I'm, I'm focusing less on the end result and more about the skills I'm collecting on my journey to obtaining the result. And I'm getting so much pride. I'm taking so much pride and like, oh, look, we're strength training two times a week and going to Pilates. So remember that version of ourselves that used to like show up early to the classroom, work 12 hour days in the classroom, would get home, just lay down in front of the television, eat and go to sleep. Look at you. You now make sure to schedule time to engage in physical self-care. Or I gather the evidence of like, um, even when, when things are hard, right? Like I had to deal with a tax issue with recently. I didn't know that in LA city, you have to pay city taxes. So when I 
finally completed my business registration form that my lawyer had told me to take care of like over a year ago. I fill it up. The next thing you know, I get a letter in the mail about multi-year delinquency for taxes and that I had like a $2,000 tax bill that I could have just waived because those first two years, I didn't even make enough money to have to pay city taxes. But because I didn't pay, I didn't know, I didn't know that LA city taxes were a thing. Then the next thing you know, I'm paying, you know, having to pay this bill. And I felt so embarrassed by it. I felt so embarrassed because like, I'm a financial coach. How did I not know this? How did I not know that, you know, there's city taxes on top of state taxes and federal taxes? And I wrote about that and I answered my question. How did you not know? Because you're the first person in your family who started a business and your accountant works on the East Coast and not every city requires you to pay city taxes. That's something that's very unique to Los Angeles. So that's why you didn't know so. Like, that's it. You just didn't know. Can you give yourself the grace? Can you pay for it? Lesson learned and move on. And you have to do that. But again, I could only do that if I'm also taking time to reflect on my achievements, on the things that I'm doing right. Because you're going to make lots of mistakes. And there's going to be so many lessons and things that you don't know. And what's going to keep you going is taking those moments to celebrate, hey, this is what I did right. This is what I learned. Look at me. Look at how I'm growing. Poco a poco. This version compared to my version last week. And you have the evidence of that you got this. You really do got this. I love this. I can keep talking to Soledad for hours. Hours, <laughs> literally. Thank you so much, Soledad, for taking the time to join me on this podcast. And where can people find you? I know two places, but I want you. To, I want them to hear from you. I would love for everyone listening to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I send out an email every Tuesday. When you subscribe, you'll get access to my self-care guide, where it's a guide that's called Start With Self-Care. It has 100 plus different activities that you can engage in that will give you, increase your bandwidth to then engage in financial planning so that you can retire early. I want you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter and I want you to follow me on Instagram and threads and LinkedIn. Awesome. And also on her website. Your website is really cool. Where can we your website? We just went through that rebrand. It's at wealthparatodos.com. Everywhere, wealthparatodos. Okay. Everywhere, wealthparatodos. Make sure to follow Soledad and her newsletters are so good. I am subscribed to them and I love reading them. So thank you so much, Soledad. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Make sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at mylucyortega and mylucyortega.com to check out my blogs. I also now have the first time business owner guide out if you want to create content or start your business i really recommend this is the guide that i wish i had five years ago when i first started my very first business i'm your host lucy ortega and this was the Socia effect